It has been brought to our attention that depending on the platform that you listen to, you can no longer hear some of our previous episodes. Some of our favorite episodes. Honestly, it makes us a little sad that you can't go back in time and have a listen because the stories were really incredible. So we wanted to bring some of those guests, some of those former guests back into the spotlight. We're going to call it like a a rerun, I think. So without further ado, here's your Why Me Project rerun. Lisa Turkhurst, how are you? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me today. Lisa, we like to ask a skill testing question because we never know where it's going to go. Who are you and where did you come from? I am Lisa Turkhurst. (laughs) wife, mom, author, president of Proverbs 31 Ministries, most of all, love child of God, which I'm very, very thankful for that. And where did I come from? Well, I started out my life in Virginia, but I now live in North Carolina. Mom of how many? Mom of five kids, but several of them are married, and then we also have three grandkids, so lots of people. (laughs) Is it true that being a grandparent is better than being a parent? (laughs) 100%. (laughs) Oh, dear. I love that idea, but I just had to go through the parent route first. Yeah, I highly suggest going the parent route first. I think that's an easier route to getting to be an eventual grandparent. And also, I think walking through parenthood, while it's an absolute joy, and I'm so thankful for every single one of my kids, it's made me a more relaxed grandparent. So I'm very thankful for that as well. <laughs> for somebody who wears so many hats, though, as you had mentioned, how difficult was it and, and or is it for you to uh, juggle all of those things? Well, I think anytime you have multiple responsibilities and you love each one of those responsibilities deeply and you feel a great sense of legacy wrapped around those responsibilities, which that applies to raising children, you know, it can be difficult to balance multiple kids. It can be difficult to balance kids with, um, you know, work responsibilities, ministry responsibilities. I mean, there's just a lot that plays into the word balance. But I always say to people, you know, I don't think that we're supposed to chase perfect balance. I, I found it's much more effective to just place all of the responsibilities I have before God, put Him at the center of it all, and then ask Him to order my priorities accordingly. Great wisdom in that. But it doesn't come overnight to be able to have uh, concepts like that to share with people. When did your faith journey begin? When I was a child and I was curious about God, but I didn't grow up going to church very often. So I only knew about God as a set of rules to follow. Then in my early 20s, I walked away from God because of the devastating loss of my sister, and I felt like I'd made a deal with God that if I followed the rules, then He should save my sister. And then when He didn't, I just couldn't understand how a good God could let something so devastating happen, and so I walked away from Him. And then in my mid-twenties, that's when I finally discovered it's not just reducing God down to a set of rules, but it really is about having a relationship with Him where you come to know his heart and trust his heart, even if you don't understand what he allows to pass through his hand. We know a lot of people, and we've heard a lot of stories of where people are like, you know what, God, you didn't, you weren't able to save my sister. You weren't able to save my parent. What do you say to then somebody who is dealing with those situations? Well, sometimes I think it's easier to listen to a story of example than try to preach a point, especially if someone's in a really hurtful situation. So, One of the recent life stories that I've been able to share with people is a couple of years ago, I was going through a lot of emotional trauma in my life, 
And um, my counselor kept saying, Lisa, if you don't learn to process this, your body will keep the score. And our emotions certainly do, unprocessed emotions or extreme emotions in our body really do affect our physical body. And that's what happened to me. And I wound up in the hospital in excruciating pain in my abdomen. The doctors couldn't figure out what was wrong with me. And I laid in that hospital bed Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. They were managing my pain or at least trying to, but I was still just frustrated because I was still in a lot of pain and the doctors kept saying, we can't find anything wrong with you. But finally, Friday morning, a surgeon came in and said, Lisa, I know you've been begging God to take away the pain, but I'm so thankful God didn't answer that prayer. Because you were in so much pain, we kept you in the hospital. And because you were in so much pain, we kept running tests and we finally figured out what's happening. Your colon has twisted and cut the blood flow off inside of you. We have to rush you into emergency surgery. And because God left the pain there, we believe we can now save your life. Otherwise, if God would have taken away the pain, you would have gone home and your colon would have ruptured and you would have died. And I remember that's one of the first times it occurred to me, God loves us too much to answer our prayers at any other time than the right time and in any other way than the right way. And so I think this is very applicable to many people walking through situations where we know God could fix something, and when He doesn't, it's very confusing. You know, when God's lack of intervention seems hurtful, His promise is doubtful, and His timing questionable, it can lead us to a really shaky place with our faith. And so I like to tell that story because I think it illustrates the fact that God is not absent or far removed. He's just working in the unseen, and we have to trust Him. Did you ever think then, was it a goal of yours to get into ministry and become a a full-time speaker, author? When I was in my childhood, in my early 20s, I didn't know, I didn't have a vision for, like, growing up to be an author, speaker, being in ministry. I didn't see that played out in anybody's life around me. So, no, I definitely did not have this as my vision. I had as my vision to possibly be a country western singer or the first woman president. So I was a little (laughs) off track in my answer as a child of what I would grow up to be. But, you know, God is so creative, and He wove everything together in just the right way. I like to tell people my job is to be obedient to God. God's job is everything else. This is just the result of one step of obedience after another. But I also think it's important for people to understand I didn't wake up one day in my mid-20s and step into the way the ministry looks today. Back when Proverbs 31 started, I didn't have any speaking engagements. Social media wasn't around, um, and the ministry was nothing but a database of 250 subscribers to a little newsletter. I wasn't even sure that me and my friends could actually write. And so, you know, it started out very, very small. But I'm so thankful that God develops our character to match our calling. And so, you know, as the Bible says, don't despise the small things. That's so true, especially for someone like me. You know, God has grown me up through the years of being in ministry, and I couldn't have handled in my 20s, what I'm living today. And so it's taken a lot of years. But just like it says in the book of Luke, that even Jesus grew in wisdom and stature in favor of God and favor of man, we know his divinity was always complete, but his humanity had to grow and develop. And that's the same for me as well. Where did the idea of Proverbs 31 come from? Well, it wasn't my idea. It came from a friend who had the original idea 
and then invited me in. I had never even read Proverbs chapter 31, so I was with the ministry for about four months, and it dawned on me. I was like, I wonder why we're called Proverbs 31. <laughs> and so I, it took me a little bit of time to figure it out in the Bible, but once I read the the chapter 31 of Proverbs and then verses 10 through 31, I said, that's a terrible name. Why would somebody name their ministry that? Because at that point, I had told my friend, I'll help do the behind-the-scenes things, but I never want to teach anything. You know, I was very intimidated by the Bible, and I said, I'll never write anything. I don't want to speak or anything like that. I just want to do the behind-the-scenes work. And at first, you know, when I read Proverbs chapter 31, I just couldn't understand why we were named that. But there was one verse that spoke to me then and speaks to me now that she can laugh at the days to come, and wisdom and faithful instruction is on her tongue. And, you know, those couple of verses really spoke something to me. And then later in life, I came to understand that Proverbs 31 was never meant to be an intimidating picture of all that a woman should do, like a checklist of sorts. Actually, even to this day, when Jewish people celebrate Shabbat, Proverbs 31 is read over them during Shabbat to usher in Shabbat as a celebration of the many unique ways that women live out uh, womanhood. And so today I look at these verses and I think it's the perfect name for a ministry that is led by women and, and reaches out to millions of women every day and celebrates the unique way God has designed each of us to fulfill the various roles that we're called to play. What is the reaction, though, from, from people who are diving into the uh, ministry, who've, who, who've a, never heard about it or who have been a part of your guys' ministry for years? I think the initial reaction is relief, <laughs> because they immediately encounter our extreme imperfections, and, you know, we very quickly usher them through solid biblical teaching, but we always lay the groundwork that we're not after inspiration or just information, we're after life application, which leads to transformation. And I know that's a lot of Asian words, but, you know, to me, I've seen it play out in my life, and I've seen it play out in millions and millions of women. It's, it's truly miraculous. But our goal in it all is to make imperfect progress toward the heart of God. And so it's a grace-filled process, but always grounded in solid biblical truth. It's interesting because Proverbs 31 has been around for a while, as you were saying, and it's kind of, it's been a part of your life, but you've had so many on the personal side of your life, ups and downs and, you know, illnesses and troubles with relationships with your husband. And it makes someone like me wonder, as, as you go through those life struggles and trials, did you ever question being a part of Proverbs 31 and thinking that you had nothing to contribute? Or was there always something that you were able to take from those situations? Certainly, I questioned it because I am, you know, a, a person who responsibility is at the core of how God wired me, and and I always want to be a faithful steward of everything. And so, you know, when I first found out that my husband was being unfaithful in our marriage, and um, certainly as that information got out into the public, people had opinions about whether or not I should stay, but. I learned a long time ago that I can't let people's criticisms go to my heart, and I can't let their compliments go to my head. So God had already positioned me in a really sweet place to have some wise biblical counsel around me, a circle of pastors that I deeply respect who know me. I had two amazing Christian counselors, 
And I had some friends in my life I knew prayed more words over me than they spoke to me or about me. Those people became the trusted sources of confirmation for what I felt God already leading me to. I did take a sabbatical, but I knew in the depths of my heart, and it was confirmed by all the wise counsel around me, that I was not supposed to step away from Proverbs. If anything, I was supposed to heal and then step into this issue that unfortunately is affecting massive amounts of families today. And so not everybody's circumstance is the same, but I do think the enemy is on an all-out assault against marriages. And, you know, I am very determined to be transparent, appropriately transparent enough to let people see what I've walked through so that they can trust the advice that I give and always know that it's based on theologically researched sound biblical truth. And so, you know, it breaks my heart that so many people are walking through devastations in their marriage, but it is an unfortunate reality. And um, so I'm thankful that um, God has healed my family, but even more so, you know, I'm very, very thankful to be able to reach out to this huge group of people that are desperate for help but feel so very alone. Do you think it was more difficult to deal with it because your life is so public? I do, yeah, absolutely, 100%. Anytime you invite public opinion into your very private pain, it's excruciating, you know? It's one thing to be laying in your bed and crying yourself to sleep with the weight of the knowledge of what your family is walking through, you know, but in the privacy of your home, it's another thing to um, hop on the internet and see people making assumptions of why this happened. You know, I think it's probably one of the most painful realities. Um, and, and it's something that we can look at the story of Job and see, you know, part of the reason that, that God really disciplined Job's friends on the level that he did is because they were more concerned about figuring out why it happened um, and trying to figure out what Job did wrong than they were just sitting with Job and doing like the Bible says, weep with those who weep, mourn with those who mourn, uh, rejoice with those who rejoice, you know. And, and I think there's something to be learned about that whole dynamic that, you know, God does not want to be explained away. He wants to be invited in. And so, honestly, I was surprised that, um, that there wasn't more negativity than there was um, around my circumstance, but you know, what the Lord kept teaching me is, Lisa, you just be obedient to me, and I will take care of everything. And you just keep walking just every single day, wake up and live your life to honor me and your actions, your reactions. And certainly, please hear me, I did not do this perfectly, <laughs> you know, when you're in emotional trauma. I mean, life can just get messy. Your reactions can get messy. I did keep that in my heart front and center to let God be my defender and to um, just be faithful and to make the highest priority taking care of my family and letting God take care of public opinion. And, you know, he did in such a beautiful way. And, and you know, here's the reality. People are going to have opinions about me whether I'm walking through something messy or whether I'm in a season of triumph and joy, you know, that's just the nature of, of what happens when you're in the, the public eye. But I don't really see myself as a person. You know, I, I try to always remember at the core of who I am, I'm not a famous Christian author, writer, speaker. I don't even like the word famous at all. At the, at the end of the day, I very much know I am a simple person. <laughs> 
who loves Jesus, who loves her family, and I've been given the opportunity to be a voice of influence in this generation, and I just want to be a faithful steward of it. Was it harder for you in the decision to walk away and say, I don't want to be married anymore, or was it harder to say, you know what, no, I'm going to stay and I'm going to fight for this relationship? I think both sides of that decision, I mean, both sides have so much pain, and there's so many nuances to each one of those dynamics, because here's the deal. Reconciliation is dependent on another person being willing to walk that road, and it's not an easy road. It is a hard road as well, but it does require both people being willing to do the work to walk toward healing and wholeness. So that's reconciliation. But redemption is not dependent on another person. Redemption is your choice with God and God alone. And so I always knew that I would walk the road of redemption with God. I did not know if I was going to be given the chance to have reconciliation or not. And this was a long journey for me. I mean, we have been in this journey for not months, but years. Mm. And there were two and a half years where Art and I lived apart. We were separated, and uh, but we were in intensive counseling the whole time. But I am very, very thankful that Art was willing to walk the road of reconciliation for me. But, you know, I think it's very important for people to understand there is pain in both of those situations, extreme pain. And I have extreme compassion no matter where people land in their journey. I appreciate the fact, though, that you guys ended up doing something and renewing your vows. Did you feel like it was something that you as a couple needed to do? Absolutely, 100%. (laughs) I just knew I needed I needed that ceremony. I needed I needed that day. I needed that marked moment in time because it had been a long journey, it'd been a hard journey, it'd been a painful journey and you know, here's the beautiful thing. A lot of people have asked the question, how does art feel about you talking about this story, you know? And I pray one day that that art will um have the opportunity to uh, be able to share his story, because I think we have a lot to learn from him and and some of the parts of even what got us into this mess in the first place. There's just a lot there that I think could help people. But, you know, Art has this um, amazing view of it now, and um, he was able to state some of this at our vow renewal ceremony in front of friends and family. We had about 70 people there. And um, Art said, you know, one of the hardest things is that when he walks in a room, everyone knows the story. Mm-hmm. But one of the greatest things is that he walks in a room and everyone knows the story. And he said, it's actually hard, but very refreshing. He doesn't have to figure out who knows our story and who doesn't. So therefore, because he's freed from having to figure that out, he can make the decision to walk in that room. And he says, I know when I walk in, God spends so much work on my heart. I'm not the villain of this story. I'm also not the victim of this story, but I can walk in as a redeemed man walking in victory. And that is very refreshing. And so it was those kinds of beautiful, humble, heart wide open statements that were said publicly and, you know, kind of as declarations on both of our parts to seal our union back together, but also to be able to make it in front of our family and friends. And um, it was one of my most favorite days of my life. What would you say to someone who's kind of in the midst of this, who wants the reconciliation, but might not be able to get to that point? First of all, I say I understand because there were 
many, many seasons of our very long journey where I didn't think reconciliation would be possible as well. So first, I would say I understand. Second, I would say remember that um, you don't have to get paralyzed or stifled in your healing just because the other person doesn't join you in your journey. Um, so make sure to do the hard work. You know, I did in more more hours of intensive therapy just for me and my healing than we even did in marriage counseling. And so marriage counseling was a big part of our healing, but individual healing had to come first. Art and I often like to say, you know, he had to do his work on his side of the street and I had to do my work on my side of the street, never knowing if the street would come back together and we'd walk in the middle together again. So, you know, I don't want you to get paralyzed in feeling like if reconciliation isn't there, then that then your healing isn't possible. And the third thing I would say is um, when seeking to forgive the other person, and, and, you know, forgiveness is important for our freedom's sake, to free us from the bitterness and anger and rage that can certainly happen. Remember, there's two parts to forgiveness. We have to forgive the person for the act of what happened, how they hurt us. But then we also have to recognize that there's going to be many more times where we have to forgive for the impact of of how their actions affected us long term. And the act of forgiveness is both a decision made one time, and then it's a process that has to be walked through. Because further down the road, there'll be triggers, there'll be other situations that are brought up, and those hard feelings emerge again. And it's not because you haven't forgiven the right way the first time. It's because forgiveness has two parts. We forgive for the offense, and then we forgive for the impact. Well, let's talk about your new book. It's called It's Not Supposed to Be This Way, Finding Unexpected Strength When Disappointments Leave You Shattered. And I just... I love, first of all, all of it, but the title and just the idea of disappointments and how in life we can have expectations and these hopes and these dreams and they don't always turn out that way. Why did you feel compelled to write this? I think it's important to state this is not a message I ever really wanted to write because it's not a message I wanted to live. But when circumstances came into my life where I found myself asking those questions that so many of us ask when we go through hard things, why me, why this? Why now? And God's at that point where God's promises seemed doubtful, his lack of intervention hurtful, and uh, his timing questionable, it's easy to get stuck in asking those questions. And, um, and yet, you know, in my spiritual journey, I was compelled to move forward with God. And so those lessons that I recorded in the book were as much of a journal of reminding me of God's faithfulness during the most difficult season of my life, but also a book that I could place in someone else's hands when they ask me this question, how did you survive this? And most of the time people are asking the question, how do I get over this? Mm. And really that's the wrong question to ask. Really it's not how do I get over this, it's how do I walk through this? Because that's really how life unfolds. We don't jump to the other side of healing and restoration. We have to walk through the pain. We have to feel the pain, deal with the pain, and and then let God heal the pain. And so many people were asking me, how, Lisa, how? And so this book is my answer, my gift to them to help them get unstuck and to move forward despite their circumstances. Through everything that you've been through, and you said the life lessons and the difficult seasons, how do you find sanctuary in all the mess? I think rest is very important, Um, and, you know, I think we have to know ourselves and what really is restful to us, 
you know, sometimes uh, for me, rest is sitting down and reading a business development book or a book about personalities or, you know, how to structure a nonprofit board. To me, that is very restful. I love learning. And to me, it just makes me feel like I can sink into a cozy chair and let my mind wander into this book. And I absolutely love that. For other people, that would be torturous. That sounds like study and work and awful. You know, maybe they want to go off and they want to knit something or maybe they want to go hike, you know, a mountain or something like that. But I think we have to be honest with ourselves and really seek to understand what is it that provides rest and refuge and solace to us and and give our brains space to connect with God and communicate with God in the very unique ways that He can minister to us. And and in those restful, peaceful places, doing activities that we're wired by God to enjoy, I think He can speak to us so profoundly. And those moments of, of rest are completely necessary for healing. Think about if you break a physical bone, you know, the doctor will bandage it up and put a cast on and you're forced to go slow. But when we have emotional trauma, we have to make the decision to go slow. What has God taught you in the last few years? What has been your biggest takeaway? As I process every event in my life, I have to make the starting point for all of my thoughts, these three things. God is good. Even when circumstances feel terrible, God is good. God is good to me. Even when I can't see Him working in the unseen ways that He works, I have to know that He's there, He's close, He's near. So God is good to me. And the third part is God is good at being God. No human should have to carry the weight of trying to be their own God and figure out all the solutions in life. But so many of us work our fingers to the bone and our emotions to a tangled fray trying to figure it all out. I think we feel pressure to make the right suggestions of what God should do, and then we hold Him accountable when He doesn't do exactly what we think or follow our script or follow our timing. But I've learned to just rest in this truth. God is good. God is good to me, and God is good at being God. And if I can start there as I process every event that I go through in life, it provides a stability, um, a sanctuary of of absolute, so I can always count on that. It's not supposed to be this way. Available now, you can uh, jump online at Lisa Turkhurst on social media, lisaturkhurst.com. Lisa, we do appreciate you, your honesty, and as well, uh, you taking some time today. Thank you so much. It's been a joy to be with you. Thank you for tuning in to an old episode, a past guest of our Why Me Project rerun. Something that we're starting now because there are so many episodes that we really did love. And they've kind of disappeared from the digital world. And speaking of digital world, I did a little recon. There are at least nine different platforms in which you can listen to the Why Me Project podcast. Okay. So there's no excuses. But, I mean, some of the main ones like Apple Podcast and or Spotify. And you can always head to our social media accounts to stay up to date as each and every Wednesday we have a brand new episode for Wimey Project. And you can also let us know if there's someone that you would like to hear on a future episode. At Wimey Project on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, Wimey Project at Outlook.com. And of course, as always, FaithStrongToday.com. <laughs>